We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden, where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel, where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there Who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil. But God planned it for good, to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. 
humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest Broken of the Bible people. sets out. What a great, great story that God uses people like us to change the world. Do you feel like you've come from a dysfunctional family? God will use you. He can use you. Do you feel like you've made mistakes in your life? Join the club. We all have. And yet God chooses to use imperfect people like us. Jennifer was a teenager who grew up with a single mom and a younger brother. And Jennifer was the only person in her family that had faith in Jesus Christ, who had given her life to Jesus. So even though her mom and brother didn't go to church, she went to church every week. Even though she didn't have a way to get there, she always found a way for somebody to pick her up and bring her to church. She had many different dreams for her life. One of them was that she would be the first person in her family to attend college. And so she applied to her dream school and she was accepted. But she wasn't able to get enough financial aid, so she deferred it for a year and she decided and committed to working for that year to earn the money that she needed so that then she could make up the difference and she could go to college. So what she did was she got a job and every paycheck, she would go, she would cash the paycheck, take that money, she would go back to her room, put it in a shoebox, which she slid under her bed. Now, she, her younger brother um, really struggled. He, was, he had a, a difficult relationship with his mom. He had a difficult relationship with teachers. He didn't do well in school. He made a lot of poor choices. But Jennifer was his biggest cheerleader. He always, all, she always prayed for her brother. She invited him to church every week. She encouraged him. She affirmed him. She offered to help with his homework. She was a committed older sister. Well, one day she got home from, from, uh, from work. She had cashed her paycheck, and she went to uh, put the money in the box, and she pulled out the box, and all that was left was $20. Her brother had stolen all of the money to support his drug habit. She was devastated. Can you imagine? My own brother, my own brother stole my money. My own brother took from me what I needed to accomplish and achieve this dream in my life. Jennifer could understand and relate to the story of Joseph that we're going to see this morning. And there are many of you here today who can relate to the story of Joseph. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at two great lessons of faith that we learn from Joseph. And if it doesn't speak to your circumstances today, you will be in circumstances one day where this will be a powerful message for you. This has been one of my favorite stories over the years because it speaks to so many areas of my life. In fact, 
If I had preached this morning the sermon that I prepared, we'd be here for about two hours. I had to keep cutting things out. There's so much to say about the life of Joseph. And one day we'll do a whole series on Joseph. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're doing a series called The Story. Over 31 weeks, and we're in week three today, over 31 weeks, we are going to cover 70% of the Bible. Over the next 28 weeks, if you continue this journey with us, you will have read 70% of the biblical story. Every week we give you the next chapter to read if you're following in the story. It's a book that follows along this series. It's the Bible. 97% of it is just the Bible. And we have that available at, um, at our kiosk for uh, visitors. So if you need one of those, go there this morning after the service if you plan to be with us. And next week, read chapter 4. And every week, it's going to relate. What we see on Sunday morning is going to relate. Now, we can't talk about everything that you've read, which is why a Pastor Lon, following the service, here, following our service at 11 o'clock, he's going to look at more aspects of what we didn't address in the sermon. And it's a great opportunity. We also have many small groups that are following this theme. Our children's ministry is following this theme. And so we encourage you every week to do the reading. And at the end of 31 weeks, you'll have read 70% of the Bible. Your biblical understanding, your biblical knowledge will grow in an extraordinary way. Well, you heard some of the story of Joseph. His father was Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. They were heirs of the promise that we looked at last week. That incredible passage that is key to our understanding of Christianity, key to understanding why Jesus came and what Jesus did, what God did for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's all one story, and you're going to see that in this series. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, as we saw. His favorite was, was Joseph, who was the 11th son. Well, one day, they were, um, they were a dad sent uh, Joseph out to visit his brothers who were tending to the family business, tending sheep in Shechem. Now, as I mentioned, Joseph was dad's favorite son. Never a good thing, right? Never a good thing. He gave him a special coat that's called the coat of many colors. Make matters worse, Joseph had a dream. And in this dream, he told his brothers they were bowing before him. Now, that's going to end well, right? They didn't like their brother for many good reasons. And so they saw Joseph coming, and they decided that they wanted to kill him. But two of the brothers spoke up and said, no, let's not kill him. Let's take him, sell him as a slave, and tell dad that he's been killed by wild beasts. And so a group of Ishmaelites were coming by. They, they took they took Joseph and they put him in a, in a hole, which is called a cistern. A cistern is something that they dug and then they, they, would, um, they would line it with limestone so it would collect water in an area of the world where water was scarce. They put him in that hole. And when the Ishmaelites were coming by, they sold him to the Ishmaelites and they took him down to Egypt. Now remember, the Ishmaelites 
Who was the son that came from, from Abraham and Sarah's servant? What was his name? Ishmael. When we don't live in the way that God wants us to live, there are consequences. And we see this happening in this story here today. So the Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt, and they sell him to a man named Potiphar, who's a powerful man in Egypt. And he becomes a slave in the home of Potiphar. Now from this, what we want to do is we want to talk about two incredible Two incredible lessons of faith. Friends, I want you to really live into this story this morning. I want you to open your heart and your mind because if this doesn't relate to your circumstances today, it will relate to your circumstances at some time. Here's the first thing that I want you to see, and that's this. Bloom or be faithful where you are planted. Bear fruit in the circumstances that you find yourself in today. Now, I think that's very hard for most of us. One of the things that, that I often find we do as people is we play the, then, uh, the if-then game. If my circumstances change, then I'll get serious about God. If my marriage gets better, then I'll get serious about God. If I get out of this job and get a better job, then I'll get serious about God. If I get married, then I'll get serious about the Lord. We play that game all the time. And what God wants us to do is, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation, the Lord wants us to be faithful in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Maybe for you, it's poor health. And what happens to so many of us is when we don't like our circumstances, we give up or we get angry, we get bitter, bitter at people, bitter at God, and we, and we say, no, okay, when my circumstances change, then my attitude will change. No. What we see in Joseph is Joseph was a man who decided and was determined that regardless of his circumstances, no matter how easy or how difficult they are, I am going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful in the place that I am planted. What is going on in your life right now that you say, this is not good. I don't want this to be my situation. I don't want this to be my circumstance. Maybe you long to be married one day. Your heart's desires that... You would be married and, and you don't see prospects. And you're frustrated and you're angry with God. And yet the Lord is saying, I want you to be a faithful servant in that very place that you are now. Be faithful where you are now. Be fruitful where you are now. Be loyal where you are now. Because I want to bless you. Well, what does it look like to bloom where you, where you are planted? Well, we see this in the life of Joseph. But here we see that Joseph was, was sent to prison. Things go from bad to worse for Joseph. What happens is he is rising in the house of Potiphar because of his faithfulness as a servant. He's blooming in the very place. He's being fruitful in the place where he's planted, even though nobody wants to be 
a slave in any situation. But he's faithful to God in the midst of that. And then what happens is he rises to a place of prominence, and just when things are looking good, just when things are getting better, Potiphar's wife makes a false accusation against Joseph, and Joseph now has been thrown into prison. Listen to what happens when he's in prison. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. What would happen? How would you respond to that situation? You've been sold by your brothers into slavery. You've been falsely accused and sent to prison. How many of us would just be bitter and angry? How many of us would say, Lord, I've tried it your way. I'm doing it my way now. I'm going to ignore you. I'm just going to forget about you. I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to try to honor you and glorify you in this place. I'm just going to live for myself. Joseph doesn't do that. He honors God even though his circumstances are so challenging and so discouraging. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. Have you given up? Have you given up on your marriage? Have you given up on a relationship with someone in your life? Have you given up on difficult because of difficult circumstances? Or are you saying to the Lord, I will be fruitful. I will honor you even in this situation. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, it's, let me go back, I'm sorry. Let me just go back. Seek to honor God no matter what your circumstances. Seek to honor God regardless of your circumstances. What does it look like to do that? What does it look like if you're in a difficult marriage one at this point? Things are difficult. Things are challenging. You're in a difficult job. Your health is challenging and difficult. What does it look like for you to honor God? And to be the best disciple, the best servant of Jesus that you could possibly be in that circumstance and in that situation. What would that look like? Here's a second thing that I want you to see. Live in the world without being part of the world. This is something I've never paid attention to, but as I read through the passage this past week, the passages that we read, this struck me. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. Now his brothers have now come because of a famine that has struck the land, and they have come, and they have come to, to Egypt to get food. They think their brother's long gone, and lo and behold, they discover when Joseph reveals himself. They discover that Joseph, the brother that they sold to slavery, has control over their destiny. He's the one who can say, no food for you. Eventually, Joseph is released from prison, and he, he rises to a place of prominence in Egypt. He has power to pay back his brothers for what they have done. But he doesn't, and we'll see, say more about that in just a moment. 
But listen to what he says. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow. You see, he chose to live and be faithful to God while he was living in this world. Now, something struck me as I looked into, into this passage deeper. I want you to hear this. He lived to be 110 years old. For 93 of the 110 years, he lived in Egypt, but he never became an Egyptian. People of Egypt worshipped many gods. People of Egypt were very fickle about their worship. They had many different gods depending on their circumstances. But Joseph, living in that community, living in that worldview, what did Joseph do? He remained faithful to the worship of the one true God. Friends, we live in a world that worships many different gods, we live in a culture, as I'll describe in a moment, that worships many different gods. We worship whatever it is that we love most. We worship whatever it is that we are most committed to. We worship whatever it is that we give our hearts to. Joseph never gave his heart to the gods of Egypt or to the culture of Egypt. He married an Egyptian wife. He served the pharaoh of Egypt. He served in the government of Egypt. He was honored for being a great man in Egypt. But he never was an Egyptian. He remained faithful to God. And at the very end of his life, and I'll say more about this in a moment, he gives instructions about taking his bones to the promised land. For he is still committed to the promise, to the covenant that God had made with his grandfather, great-grandfather, Abraham. Friends, we live in a world and in a culture that worships many gods. Now, we don't have, in our culture, we don't tend to have the kinds of gods that they had in Egypt. But here are some of our gods. Money. Do you think money is a god of our culture? Absolutely it is. Possessions. How do I know that I'm rich? Well, look what I own. When God, des god describes wealth as the nature of our relationships, first with him and then with others, we define in our world our wealth by what we own, what we drive, the house we live in. And so we seek money. And we pursue it with everything that we have. We are encouraged in our culture to make ourselves our own God. Most of us are more committed to ourselves than we are to the God we claim to worship. To the God that we claim to follow. And we put our desires ahead of the will of God in our life. In fact, we even want God to serve us rather than our serving him. Friends, that's the worship of, the, of a God of our culture. You're willing to do whatever it takes to get what you want in this world, be it money or, or power or possessions. Friends, there are many different gods in our culture today 
We live in a culture of compromise. We live in a culture of political correctness so that we can no longer speak God's truth to people without being isolated and rejected. Are we going to serve our world or are we going to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Joseph, in the midst of all the pressures that you and I find ourselves in, in our culture, he continued to worship and to serve the one true God. I read a story about a family that went to Niagara Falls uh, not too long ago, and it was the end of winter, the beginning of spring, ice was melting, and there were a lot of seagulls around because what had happened was fish that had died during the winter were caught up in the ice, they were frozen in, in ice cubes, big ice blocks, and these seagulls would come and they would peck away at it to get to the carcass of the fish. And they were watching this transpire when they saw this one seagull trying to get in and, and it grabbed hold of this carcass, this dead fish, and the problem was this piece of ice was getting closer and closer to the falls to where Niagara Falls drops off. And so they watched this bird, and before this bird knew what was happening, they began to, this piece of ice picked up speed, and it was right at the edge. Rather than letting go of the block of ice, rather than letting go of the carcass of that fish, the bird started to fly, and it was able to raise this heavy piece of ice just out of the water until the ice became too heavy, pulled the seagull down, and it was caught in the water, and it fell to its death. Friends, I think that is an image that God shared with me of how often I live my life. I'm, I'm, I'm consuming the, carca the carcass of reputation or the carcass of security or the carcass of health or the car carcass of success in this world. And I don't even see the dangers that it's creating in my life. Friends, how about you? How about you? Here's a third thing that I want you to see in this first thing, and that is live each day in light of God's future promises. Listen to what we read in Genesis 50, verse 25. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath, the very end of his life. And he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, if you go to Hebrews 11, that talks about all the great examples of faith. I remember when I first studied Joseph's life, I couldn't wait to get to, Genesis, I mean, to Hebrews 11 to read about what they honored him in terms of his faith, this man of great faith, what did they honor him for? He gave instructions about his bones when he died. What? That's his great act of faith? All these incredible things he did, that's how they honor him? He gave instructions about his bones? Until you dig deeper, here's what it means. God had made a promise. Joseph may not have been able to see how God could ever fulfill that promise. But God had made a promise. And that promise was that they would go to the land of Canaan. Now they were in Egypt, but they would go to the land of Canaan and they would become a great nation. Joseph believed the word of God. 
Joseph believed the promise of God. He believed that that word would come to be true. And so before he died, he said, don't bury me in a pyramid. Don't bury me in an Egyptian tomb. Take my bones, have them ready to go. Put them in a box, have them ready to go, so that when God restores the nation to Egypt, I mean, to, uh, from Egypt to Canaan, you will take me back to the promised land with you. Friends, I want to live that confident in the promises that God has made to me. He has promised an eternity with him. I want to live today in light of that promise. He has promised so many things, and I want to live each moment and each day in light of knowing that those promises will be fulfilled. Do you know the promises of God? Are you living each day in light of your confidence that God has the power and God has the character to fulfill those promises in your life? Are you sold out? Are you in all the way? Do you have just one foot in and one foot out? Or are you in all, all 100% of who you are? I want to be all in. Here's a second great example of faith. And this, this really struck me. Thrive in the here and now. How do we do that? How do we thrive in the here and now when we're sitting as a slave in Potiphar's home? How do we thrive and live now fully when we're living and rotting in a prison cell? How do we thrive and live the life that God created us to live fully, joyfully, powerfully, when our circumstances aren't what we wanted? Maybe you're struggling in a relationship. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you feel like your job just doesn't fit you and it's dead end. Whatever it is in your life, how do you thrive in the midst of that? Well, we see a couple things from Joseph. Ask God to give you his perspective and then look for his blessings. God, give me your perspective on what I'm dealing with in my life right now. And Lord, bless me in the midst of it. I had never paid attention to these uh, few verses before. Genesis 41, 50 to 52. Listen to what it says. Before the years of famine came, okay, so this is, Joseph is now out of prison. He's been made uh, through you read about it through a variety of different encounters and experiences. He's been made an official of Egypt. His brothers have not come back. There's been no restoration for what happened to him. So here's what happens. Two sons were born to Joseph. He named his firstborn Manasseh, and he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The names of his sons scream joy and faithfulness to God in the midst of hard situations. Can you imagine the depth of that faith? Listen to what he says. Manasseh literally means, that name literally means causing to forget. 
What does he say? It's because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. Now, that doesn't mean forgetting that I don't remember. That's how we tend to think of it. That's not what that meant. Forgetting meant what they did to him no longer had power over him. Because what he understood was that God was in control of his journey. That God was the one leading his journey. So what his brothers had done to him had no power over him anymore. That's what it means when he says, I forget. It doesn't affect me anymore. Many of us have had experiences from our past that have been destructive, that have been difficult, and they still plague us to this day. Manasseh, cause to forget. God, how can I live tomorrow in light of being healed from yesterday? How can you free me from what happened so that it no longer has power over me? How can I heal from the bitterness and the resentment that I feel over what was done to me? How, God, can I live like Joseph lived? And Ephraim, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God has made me fruitful, Joseph said. Fruitful. You see, in a life that we look at and we say, how could anything good come from this? Joseph looks at all that happened to him and he says, God has made me fruitful. That is a, a perspective that I find rare in anybody, including Christians, today. Many of the women here were at the conference this past weekend. You heard the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. And in the midst of excruciating pain, physical pain that she experiences every day, she lives with this incredible perspective. Ephraim, God has made me fruitful even in the midst of my suffering. Katie, we were going to name you Ephraim, but mom wouldn't let me, okay? <laughs> and then second, choose to trust that God will use every life experience for his purpose. This is, this is extraordinary. Now, in this series, we've been talking about the lower story and the upper story. What's the lower story? The lower story is our story. This morning, it's Joseph's story. See, we can't see into the upper story to know what God's doing, because that's the upper story, is what God is doing. And we can't often see that from where we are here. Joseph didn't know all that was going on. He didn't know when he was langu languishing as a slave and then as, as a prisoner. He didn't know what God was doing. He had no idea. But he trusted that God had a plan and a purpose and a design. And so his brothers come to him, and they're asking for food because the famine has affected them. And Egypt, because of the wisdom God had given to Joseph, in the seven years where they were prosperous, they saved food, they saved grain, so that when the famine hit, Egypt was still okay. Egypt still had food. But Israel didn't. And so they came to Egypt to get food. And there are his brothers when Joseph reveals himself to them. Listen to what he says to them. He has the power to destroy them. He could kill them in that moment. He could send them empty-handed. 
But here's what he says. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. What? Do not be angry with yourselves for what you've done to me. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You see, Joseph now sees it. He now sees the upper story. God had used these circumstances to send him ahead so that when the nation was starving to death, Joseph would be in a place where he could save the nation and the plan of God through this nation would continue for generations to come. Are you going through difficult circumstances? What if God is going to use those circumstances for his glory? What if God has a plan and a purpose and a design? What if God is doing something that you cannot see from the lower, from the lower story? So then, it was not you who sent me here, Joseph said, but it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Friends, I want to be that person that has that perspective before I see the upper story. I want to be that person that can, and I struggle with this, and I want to be that guy who can, who can trust God when I don't see the whole story, when I don't understand God's perspective, and I don't see the upper story. My dad struggled a lot in his younger years. He struggled because he had a mom and a dad. His dad abandoned the family. His mom gave him up to a grandmother, and, and his grandmother didn't like him, didn't want him. He never had anybody show up at any school thing, never had any parents show up to cheer for him at any basketball games that he played or track meets that he was involved in. And it was painful. And that pain came, came to a point after he retired and no longer had that work to pour himself into. And all that pain came cascading into his life. One night when I was here in California from Michigan just at a conference, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking about Joseph. And I had this, this sense that God wanted me to share that story with my dad. My dad was about two in the morning. All of a sudden, there's a knock on my door. And my dad says, hey, are you awake? Now, I'm never awake in the middle of the night. And I said, yeah, I am. I said, dad, funny you should come in. And I told him the story of Joseph. Joseph and I said, dad, you know, what your mom and dad did to you was terrible. But look what happened. You decided you were going to be a different kind of dad, and you changed the trajectory of the generations. You were the dad who was always there. You were the dad who built into your boys. And now, this day, all four of your boys love Jesus. Now, this day, every grandchild that is of age loves Jesus. You changed the generations. Nobody else in your family changed. You changed. And so what was, what occurred that was, they didn't want to hurt my dad. It was just what happened. 
But dad, look what happened. Look what God did. Thank you. Thank you for your courage to bring this about. We don't know what's going on in the upper story. We just know the suffering we're enduring. But what if God is doing something so extraordinary through the very suffering you're enduring? And we may not even see it until we go be with him. But that's where we trust that Romans 8.28 is true. And I know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. This is a quote that I've loved over the years. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for suffering. What if that's true? What if the story of Joseph is the story for you today? I told you the story of Jennifer. The very next week, after all she had was that $20 left, all of her dreams, from her perspective, had been blown up. She went to church, and she took that $20, and she put it in a little offering envelope, and she wrote a little bit of her story on that envelope. The next Sunday comes. It's a really large church. The pastor doesn't know who Jennifer is, and he tells her story in the first service. Two families come forward, and they say, we would like to pay for Jennifer's college. The second service comes and Jennifer's there and the pastor says, Jennifer, if you're here this morning, will you come see me? She comes up after the service and he says, your college has been paid for. God wants to bless you. This is the God that we worship. Now, it doesn't always end that way. And sometimes, from our human perspective, our lower story, we don't know what God's doing. I've got experiences like that, but that's where I believe that God can take the ashes of life and he can build something eternal and something beautiful. I get to be part of that story and so do you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to grab on to this truth this morning, that it would speak to us, that it would transform us, that it would amaze us. Lord, I know that there are many here this morning who are suffering and struggling. And I know it's hard to see, God, that you can take even this, this dead-end job, this challenging relationship, this painful, difficult medical situation. And God, you can build and make something beautiful in the midst of it. Only you. Only you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.